Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Howard Melnick. Howard is the Executive Vice President and Global Chief Information Officer of Signet, the world's largest retailer of diamond jewelry, with revenues exceeding $6 billion annually. Signet owns and operates well-known brands such as K Jewelers, Zales, and Jared, among others. In this role, Howard's focused on driving business value through information technology, Signet's analytics programs, and driving a customer-centric and digital-first mindset. Prior to joining Signet, Howard was the Global Chief Information Officer of Ralph Lauren Corporation. In this interview, we discuss why Howard joined Signet and the company's path to brilliance strategy, which has been focused on customer first, omni-channel with a digital focus, and building a culture of agility and efficiency. We discuss how COVID served as an accelerant for the company's digital strategy, how IT has leveraged centers of excellence to achieve agility and efficiency at scale, and why measuring business value is the most important metric businesses should focus on. Lastly, we discuss how the company uses analytics to help maximize return, how augmented reality allows customers to try on a ring from home, how the company enabled its jewelry consultants to keep working during the pandemic, and a variety of other topics. I wanted to share a quick message from our sponsor, Sykes. Sykes is a leading provider of multi-channel demand generation and customer engagement services, helping Global 2000 companies enhance touch points at every stage of the customer journey. To share some perspectives, I'll briefly turn it over to Ian Barkin, the company's chief strategy and marketing officer. Customers don't want and don't deserve a new normal. They deserve and want a better normal. At Sykes, we know this because we spend over 3 billion minutes a year listening to and serving customers of the world's leading brands. And with that much listening, you can't help but know what delights, what infuriates, and what drives customer behaviors and decisions. So, what is a better normal? We believe it's the delivery of a truly intelligent customer experience. The call to action has never been clearer for CIOs, CTOs, and the broader C-suite. New is not enough, and the time for tinkering has passed. The winning combination of technology, talent, and customer insight is how to create intelligent customer experiences and a truly better normal. To read more about intelligent customer experiences, check out sykes.com forward slash ICX. Thanks, Ian. I recently caught up with Rehan Jalil, the founder and chief executive officer of Security AI. He offered the top three recommendations for chief information officers to reduce data risks while deriving the greatest value from data. Take it away. With more life lived digitally, there's an explosion of data, and it certainly brings immense business opportunities to use AI and other ways to monetize this data. But it also brings with it the immense data risks and responsibilities alongside. You certainly can make most use of data for business by keeping such data risks in check. To control these risks, first get a real-time understanding of the sensitive data across your multi-cloud environment, across your SaaS and any of the on-premise systems that you would have, and all the controls or the lack of controls that may be around this data to prevent it from external adversaries In addition to external adversaries, also look at from your internal usage and put all the access governance and controls in place. 
And these have to be more automated because data is changing. So these controls have to be more automated. In addition to protecting from the external adversaries, also look at your internal usage of data and it must align with global privacy regulations and variety of other regulations that actually tied to data with respect to storage of data, with respect to doing the data mapping, understanding how this data is moving across the geographies and ensuring that this data is being used in alignment with the consent of the user. Because remember, the people do get rights on the data with respect to deletion, change of consent, correction, access, and your ability to automatically fulfill these user requests in a consistent manner can really help build user trust and reduce the risk to your brand. And now onto our interview. Howard Melnick, welcome to Technovation. Thank you, Peter. Great to Thank see you, you today. Thank you for having me. That's a pleasure. I thought we'd begin, uh, Howard, with your your role. You're the Executive Vice President, Global Chief Information Officer of Signet. And I wonder just uh, if you could take a moment for those who may be less familiar with the company, can you provide a brief overview as to what, what you all do? Sure. Let me tell you a little bit about my role and a little about Signet. So first, I've been at Signet for about two and a half years. And what drew me to Signet was that the company was launching a transformation with a digital focus and a real customer first mentality. My sweet spot has always been integrating business and technology to create value. As you mentioned, I'm accountable for information technology as well as our analytics programs, really focusing on things like being customer centric, digital first, or accelerating our cloud adoption and using analytics with machine learning and AI. But my overall focus is really on driving business value. I partner very closely with both our chief innovation officer and our chief digital officer uh, to really create a world-class customer experience. And so Peter, as you mentioned, many people may not know the name Signet, but you're probably really familiar with the brands that we represent. So first, Signet's mission is to celebrate life and express love. So kind of what what a great place to work at, uh, particularly in these times. We're the world's largest retailer of diamond jewelry and the largest specialty retailer in the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. The brands that we have are K Jewelers, Zales, Jared, Piercing Pagoda, People's Jewelers in Canada, H. Samuel and Ernest Jones in the UK, and James Allen, which is actually a digitally native company, which was uh, out of Tel Aviv. Well, thank you for that overview, Howard. I appreciate it. Um, would love to talk a little bit about your your current strategy. Uh, I know from our past conversations that you've talked about uh, aspects like the path to brilliance, uh, uh, some of the omni-channel type aspects that you're doing and so on. Maybe you can d- dive a little bit further into some of the details of those if you would. Okay, great, Peter. So first, let me give a little background, which I think really helps frame up the business strategy. So Signet, the group was founded in 1949 and grew organically uh, until the late 80s and early 90s. And so back in then in February of 2014, Signet acquired Zales Corporation, which is, was based in Dallas. And then in 2017, we purchased R2Net, which is the owner of that online company, James Allen, which really starts to be our innovation hub. So these acquisitions were great because they gave us breadth and scale, but gave me the ability now to say, I have multiple technologies. So how do I leverage that scale, but at the same time, be able to create really unique experiences 
by brand for our customers. So with that, we born our path to brilliant strategy. Now, if you go back and think five or 10 years ago, jewelry was not a big online purchase category, right? Jewelry is intricate. People, uh, it wasn't a book. And so we started to develop a strategy back in 2018 that had three strategic pillars. The customer first, omni-channel with a digital focus, and building a culture of agility and efficiency. And so, Peter, when we last spoke, which was about 18 months ago, we were just in kind of wrapping up year one. And year one for us was fixing operational issues, building a foundation, getting us ready. Year two came, and that's where we really were strengthening our foundation. We were building in omni-channel capabilities. We were actually getting uh, more product diversity and starting to really focus on innovation. And then in year three, where we sit now, when we really were gaining our momentum, COVID hit. And COVID for us was actually an accelerant. I would say in two months of COVID, we probably did two years worth of work. And so where many companies kind of shut down, we really started to accelerate areas of digital growth. And I think what we've seen is customer trends have also accelerated. Things like buy online, pickup in store, curbside pickup. These are things that were kind of emerging at a slow pace, but have really accelerated. And I think in a post-COVID world are going to last forever. Very interesting. And talk, talk a bit, if you will, uh, about the, the way in which that IT strategy, that path to brilliance supports the broader enterprise strategy. So with that path to brilliance laid out, we developed an IT strategy that had uh, four key areas. The first was what I call fix and improve. So there certain areas that we inherited that we wanted to make better, particularly around people, process, technology, and data. Then the next area was with multiple brands, what are the areas I should harmonize and then modernize? And then the last area was really around innovation. And when we think of innovation, innovation for us isn't just catch up, it's how do I leapfrog the competition? What can I do to really position us well? So let me walk you through each one of those areas and some of the, give some examples of things we did. So if we look at kind of the first area, which was fix and improve, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great. And one of the things he says is, you know, get the right people on the bus. So the first thing we did is get the right people on the bus. And then we started to look at our operating model. And so since we had grown up with multiple banners and multiple campuses, Traditionally, we were organized you know, by technology and by geography, with some people sitting in Akron and some people sitting in Dallas. What we really want to do is organize by function. And so we started to make that shift where e-commerce team moved from traditional project teams to product teams. But then in other areas, we started to leverage the concept of centers of excellence, particularly around areas like integration, DevOps, testing, analytics. This is really important because you want to make sure that you're controlling the key architectural principles, but at the same time, you want to be able to scale up and scale down as needed. So what I want to do is accelerate business opportunities. I never want to be in a position where I'm going back to our business and saying, that's a great idea. We can't do it for six months. So by leveraging these centers of expertise, it really let us get agility and efficiency at scale. So I think that's really been a great addition for us uh, as we go, as we move forward. 
That's great, Howard. I appreciate that overview. It's it's interesting, as you say, we're now in the throes of uh, the pandemic as we have this conversation, and very interesting to hear about some of the acceleration that's happened. Um, do, do you have any thoughts about kind of the indelible marks this will leave, just in terms of business practices, new ones that will uh, that have emerged that that are likely to continue as a result of this? Yeah, I think. We're going to see consumer, we've already seen consumer behavior shift, right? So people are doing more things from home. And that concept of omni-channel, which is one of the pillars of our strategy, has really started to, I think, become forefront, right? So there are things that I want to do at home or in the store start to become the same. So I think, uh, and we're going to see that trend continue. So one of the other things, uh, Peter, that we start to look at is measurement. And so I think measurement is really important. And so this is an area that I'm really passionate about. And so in IT, you have to measure so many things, right? You have to measure things like system uptime. Uh, Are your projects on time? Are your projects on budget? And those are all necessary, but I would say not sufficient. What you really want to focus on is the concept of measuring business value. How are you driving the business forward? You know, what features are you driving forward? Are you creating any technical debt as you go forward? Are you creating any risk? And so, but if you really focus on business value, it keeps you centered and keeps the organization, I think, on the right path. And, you know, a great example, due to COVID, I'm sure most of us, including myself, I haven't flown anywhere since March. But the last time I flew and I had some checked bags, when I got to the airport, I handed my bag to someone who's actually an airport employee who then hands that bag to an airline employee, who hands that bag to a TSA employee. Each one of those areas has metrics for kind of what happens, right? And then that whole thing flips, you know, the other end as you get to your destination. Peter, there's only one metric I bet you care about is when you get off the plane is your bag on the carousel, right? And so all those other metrics are important, but, you know, if you have that focus, it drives everything else. So I think for us, leveraging that kind of focus has been really helpful as we go forward. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. T- talk a bit about the role that analytics plays in all this, Howard. You've talked about, uh, as you described, the, um, the path to brilliance uh, strategy that, you're, that you've been helping to drive. Um, it strikes me there's a lot there that requires a, a better use of data. Talk, talk a bit about the way in which you're, you're organizing that, uh, the strategy you put in place for that. So I think as we look at analytics, there's a few core tenets that we think about. One is how do you leverage your internal data, right? How do you leverage external data? So I think there's a tremendous amount of data available that companies don't often uh, look at. And then as important, how do you visualize it? Because sometimes it's great to have data, but people can't really see the answer. So for example, one of the things we did in analytics is when COVID hit and we had to close our stores, we had to think about what's the best way to reopen stores, right? How do you do that? What's the optimal way? And so we started to look at traditional data like all retailers would look at. What were the sales before COVID? What was traffic like? What was your average order value like? Those are all great measures, but probably not enough. So then we started to look at other external data, and by the way, all this data is publicly available, you just have to look for it. So we started to pull things like percent unemployment in counties, percent of confirmed COVID cases, uh, census data. And by the way, if you haven't done your census, please do. And then 
Google has great mobility reports. We can actually see people, their kind of traffic with cell phones. Again, all publicly available. So using this data, we were able to develop algorithms to say, what is the optimal way to open a store? And so I think that's just kind of one great example of using analytics uh, to really help maximize return. Excellent. And talk a bit about, as you look to the future, Howard, um, what are some of the technology trends that particularly intrigue you and are beginning to make their way onto your roadmap? So I think there's a few, Peter, that I find interesting, both short-term and then one or two long-term. And so one, I think with, you know, and we're doing this remotely, right? The concept of virtual workplace tools, I think is going to be very interesting. And I'm not talking about things like Teams and Zoom. I'm talking about things that will help you create that same experience you had in the office. So I've seen some things emerge like watercooler.bot, which basically will say, hey, let's get two people together for a quick, un, you know, unscheduled meeting just to kind of have a virtual cup of coffee. So I think here's an area where you can actually use analytics. So I could go through the calendars and say, Peter and Howard haven't met for the last three months, let's actually schedule a meeting for them to get together virtually. So that's, I think, one area that is of interest. Another one is augmented reality. So virtual reality and augmented reality have been increasing. We've done some work with virtual reality around diamond education, but I think augmented reality is really interesting. So if, you know, one of the things that you'd like to be able to do is say, how does that ring look on my finger? Right. And so the challenge is with, uh, but I'm sitting at home and I'm not going to be able to get to the store. What if I could actually just do it with augmented reality? So if you go to our Ernest Jones uh, or Eight Samuel website today, you can actually do that. You can do a virtual try on of a ring. Right. That's great. And that's a trend. If we think about augmented reality, that capability you're going to want in store as well. Another thing we're working on at Pagoda is what we call magic mirrors. So magic mirrors will let you see a pair of earrings on your ears without trying them on. So this is, I think, a trend that's definitely going to continue as we go forward. Howard, um, as we are in the throes of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, talk a bit about, uh, to, you take us back to, to March and the early stages of this and some of the things that you and your team put in place um, and ways in which technology have fostered resilience for the organization. As COVID hit, as I mentioned, we, like many organizations, had to quickly shift uh, to work from home. And in fact, uh, we had scheduled our work from home test the second Thursday of March. And with COVID increasing, we actually never got to the test. We had to make that transition to have our support staff work from home. And that worked extremely well. However, we had a second challenge, which is with our stores closed, how do we enable our jewelry consultants to do everything they did from the stores from home, right? And so pressure makes diamonds and our organization is good under pressure. And so I went back to my team and one of my favorite movies is Apollo 13. And Gene Krantz has that famous line, you know, failure is not an option. And I basically said, here's a tablet, here's a router, here's Teams, Zooms, here's our authentication software, and here's our other software. What capabilities could we create basically overnight to enable our jewelry consultants to keep working and servicing our customers? And so this is where, as I mentioned, I think we did you know, two years worth of work in two months. And what we came out with was the concept of, first, we were able to reach out to all our customers via social and email. Then we created the ability to book virtual appointments. Then we were able to connect our customers to give live advice. 
through the computer and then to actually conduct video conferencing appointments to co-browse. And so, and at the same time, the business came up with this great idea of what about a virtual wedding? If I can't get to my wedding venue, could I have a, uh, can I have a virtual wedding? So if you look at RQ2, and this is where I talk about measurement earlier and say, do you have the right results? You know, we actually did 300,000 virtual appointments in that time period. We had over 15,000 jewelry consultants doing virtual selling. We did over 78,000 curbside deliveries. We had 62 million customers reach out to us via chat and social, and 215 virtual weddings occurred during this time period. And our e-commerce e penetration grew and our growth, we had e-commerce growth of 72% in the quarter. So for me, this ties back to our strategy and saying, are we doing the right things that drive the right measurements? And are we creating value for our customers? And so I was really pleased with those results. Excellent. Well, Howard Melnick, thank you so much for joining me on Technovation today. It's been great to speak with you, to learn a bit about uh, all that you and your team have been, been up to during these most unusual times and your, your vision for the future. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Thursday when my guest will be Anil Cherian, the Executive Vice President of Strategy and Technology at Cognizant.